0: We all have this idea in our head of what rich and famous is. And it's these diamonds and this flashy stuff. Um, But the reality is, is if, if we could grasp it, you know, we all are rich in, in many different ways, you know, like I am rich in motherhood. Let's be real. Like there is nothing better. I mean, it is the most challenging thing in the world. Let's just be real. But But it is so rewarding, right? As you watch these little lives just blossom and, you know, their little personalities come out, or you see bits and pieces of yourself in them, you know, and you just have to sit back and laugh. And then you think, then you imagine, you sit back and imagine who they're going to be when they grow up.
1: podcast featuring conversations with artists who are also mothers. This is episode 11 and today I'll be sharing my conversation with singer-songwriter and yoga instructor Naima Adedapo. My name is Emma Coy and I'm a musician and performance artist coming to you from Orlando, Florida, where my husband and two kids and I are finishing up an experiment where we are skipping winter. If you want to hear more about that, check out episode 9 where I talk more about that decision to spend a few months in Florida Um, But in just two weeks, we'll be returning to Milwaukee in real life. If you are new here, welcome. I'm really excited to share today's conversation with you, and it's wonderful to just be able to offer up these stories as inspiration for mother artists everywhere. Definitely check out the website, mothermaker.co, for more stories that you won't find here on the podcast. I need to start out by asking for your help. If you like this podcast, or the Mother Maker website, or are a member of our Facebook group, if it's helped you in any way, would you please share it with a friend, a mom, a sister, um, anybody you know, and leave a review or a rating. It would just really help me out so much to know that it's helping you and to help get the word out. Thank you so much. So today I'm sharing my conversation with my former undergraduate classmate, Naima Adedapo, Naima and I go back about 15 years. We were classmates in the dance department at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and I was a double major in music and dance there, and Naima was a dance major but also a singer. And some of my greatest friendships and collaborators and mentors come from my time as an undergrad at UWM, and I really look back at that time as a special, formative time of my life. And I really get excited anytime I get to reconnect with someone from that time, because it really is a special um, time for me. After college, Naima was selected as a finalist on the TV show, American Idol, and it absolutely transformed her path, jumpstarting a career in music that would help her to provide for her young family. And I don't wanna say too much here because I wanna get to the interview. It's really one of my favorites. Um, Naima is full of beautiful advice, Inspiration and words of wisdom, and I'm really happy to share our reconnection here with you after so many years. If you've got feedback about this episode or the podcast in general, there are lots of ways to get in touch with me and the Mother Maker team. You can send me an email at emma at mothermaker.co. We're also on Facebook at co and Instagram at mothermaker. Also, be sure to sign up for our newsletter by going to mothermaker.co and clicking newsletter in the upper right hand corner. By joining our mailing list, you'll get new interviews delivered to your inbox as soon as they're released. And along those lines, I've got one announcement. We are moving to Mondays. I have learned that I could really use those weekend days to finish up final touches on these interviews, so I've made an executive decision that the next interview and podcast episode number 12 will come out Monday, March 16th. If you are on Facebook and looking for a community of Mother Artists, please join our Facebook group, Mother Maker Artists Raising Humans. This group is literally growing every day. It's really a supportive place where we talk about our work, we share our studios, we talk about our challenges, and form community. So just search for Mother Maker Artists Raising Humans on Facebook. So now, here's my conversation with Naima Adedapo. remember as your classmate at UWM, I always had this, there were a couple people were watching from a distance where I was like, oh, that person is going to like do something really incredible. And you were one of those where I would always watch you and just, you know, you just shined and you still do. And then you got pregnant right at the end of school, right? Was that your last year there?
0: My last year. Yep, yeah. I was literally like performing with Nalani in my belly,
1: mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh no, does this mean? <laughs> does this mean night that the thing I thought of, Naima, she's gonna be amazing. Is this gonna change her course?" And and I don't, I don't know if you and I were really that close at that time. I know that we were like, we had this bond because we were the only ones who understood the like the tunes that the accompanists were playing <laughs> in class, yeah, in modern sure. class. That's one of my favorite
0: people, I think just because you're so grounded, you know what I mean? And it was like, your movement was just really um, organic, right? So it was like this like you said, there are a few people that I uh, remember that way, where it was like just wonderful to watch um, them move. You know what I mean? And so I think that probably was just like a part of a part of our connection because I definitely had that same that mutual respect for you as a dancer.
1: Mm-hmm. Probably because I didn't have any real training. <laughs> <laughs> right. <Look at> that. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to move the way my body moves because nobody's ever taught me how, right? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And I
0: was like this hip hop slash African dancer. I was like super rooted. I remember crying through the entire ballet audition when we were like auditioning for um, the dance program. I just, I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to do it. And I'm not going to make it in.
1: (laughs) It was crazy. So talk about what that was like getting pregnant while you were still in school.
0: You know, it definitely, uh, it wasn't like um, me and her father uh, or their father like planned it. We definitely didn't plan it. But there was this time, honestly, that I was feeling as I was young, I was just like, I'm never going to have kids because I was thinking to myself, I'm just going to be a performer. I'm you know, I'm like you know, I'm gonna go live in New York and, you know, all the stuff. And um, then I met him and something changed, something shifted. And I was like, Oh, I could actually see myself having children with this guy, you know? And then when it became real, it was, you know, what's really interesting is that there was never a point where I was like, Oh, my career is over or, Oh, I'm not gonna, I didn't really ever have that point. Like, I was just like, well, you know what? This just means I need to grind harder. You know, it really got to the point where it was like, okay, I've got a life that I'm going to be responsible for. So I need to make some things happen. And I remember being yelled at by people because I wouldn't stop moving. People were like, you need to stop. You're you're pregnant. You can't be dancing. I did. I remember I was um in... Kosi's performance, the African dance company that I was dancing with and touring with. And I actually had a moment where I I fell there, but I was still doing like cartwheels and splits. And like, people were like, what is wrong? I was like, and my answer to them was more so like, my legs aren't pregnant. Like my <laughs> arms are pregnant, like, you know, and so I literally danced and moved and performed them down. You know what I'm saying? Like I, up until they were born, um, both of them, I don't think there was ever this point where I felt like my career was over or like my dreams had to be put on hold. I did feel like, okay, there's a a lot more responsibility, right? Um, I feel like it gave me just more drive Mm -hmm. to make happen. Um, and then I almost felt like my timeline, needed like things needed to happen quickly. I just, I kept going after it. I started uh, the reggae band and was doing that and was still teaching African dance and stepping and hip hop was still performing with Kofi, like, you know, and at that time, luckily Dwayne was in a space where he could support me, you know, so he could be home with the girls while I was out performing or that kind of thing. But, um, It was definitely a challenge. I can't like pretend like it's not. I mean, with Abiola, my second child, she refused to take a bottle. So, and when I tell you, like I ordered all kind of nipples from all over the world. Like I'm talking about like the one that looked like a boob, like felt like a boob. (laughs) I, she wouldn't do it. She would not take it. And she also was like very clingy. Like she needed to smell me, like needed to be around me. And if she wasn't, she was freaking out. I remember the very first time I tried to leave her with my mom for a performance. We got there too. We were performing at 10 o'clock and I got to my mom's house at the latest possible point. I got there at like 940 <laughs> and we raced to the to like we were performing at the Up and Under actually, <laughs> raced to the show, and um, my phone died during the performance. So I get into after the performance I get into the car and charge my phone, and I have like eleven voicemails. I start to listen. My mom, all you hear is I be all in the background like, yeah! <laughs> and my mom like. Naima, something is wrong. We have to take her to the hospital. There's something wrong, or whatever the case is. And we got—I I remember getting to—I could hear her. I get into my mom's house. I could hear her from outside, still like crying, and her voice was hoarse. That's how much she had been crying. And the second that I walked in the door, she, saw, like her, her voice went quiet, and she looked up at me. She said. Ah, and smiled and like, girl, and my mom was like, you little devil. (laughs) But it was challenging because at that point I had to then take her to my gigs. I would take her, I would hire somebody or have somebody come with me to gigs to watch her in the dressing rooms or, you know, you know, in a, in a booth or something. And then, and then like on my break, I would feed her because um, we tried the whole freezing milk and all that kind of stuff did not work. Um, she was not, cause she wouldn't take, she refused to take a bottle. So um, that created like a crazy challenge, but that was nothing that was going to stop me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of like this. It is what it is. Accept it. Be as much as you can be. Um, in the performance realm and as much as you can be as a mother like you know but you just have to put one foot in front of the other at that point you know what I mean so yeah it was just it was was challenging it was challenging for sure
1: that's incredible that you you just pushed through that you found a way you made it happen but like isn't there also a sense of guilt too of like if you're going to leave this baby with somebody else and they are so attached to you. So I think that
0: there is always this kind of space of guilt or doubt that is is in the back of your head. Any mother, it doesn't matter what you're doing, honestly. You could be the best homemaker in the world and stay at home mom and be doing all the things in the world, but still question yourself as a mother. I think that for me, that first time was slightly terrifying when I, we you know, when my daughter had been crying for four hours and like, you know, and I didn't know it and that kind of things, which is why I shifted things. I knew that I couldn't leave her with anybody. And so I just had to manipulate what I was doing to be able to accommodate her and being a mother, being the mother that I needed to be to her. So, yeah, fast forward a little bit with the American Idol thing. Right. So they were really young. They were um, like one and three and actually like first started, they were one and three when I went out to LA, but like when it first started the auditioning process and all that, Aviola was like six months old, you know? So who, I think that was probably the most challenging part for me when it comes to like being separated from them at such a young age. Um, I remember it got to the point when I was in um, Hollywood week and at that point we were still flying back and forth, right? Because there's a whole process to it. It doesn't all happen in one day. It's, you know what I mean? But when you go out to Hollywood, there's a full week of you being out there and then you fly back home. And then once they have chosen like the top 40, then you fly out with basically the hopes, or you know, understanding that you may not come back home until the end of the season, which could be me. you know. And so I remember in Hollywood week, it was it had only been three days. It was the longest that I had been separated from them, though. It, it got to the point where people couldn't ask me how my daughters were doing because I would just cry. I would just like cry. I couldn't even. And it hadn't even been that long at that point. Um, I still just remember, thank God that like at that point, the whole Skype thing was happening, the FaceTime thing was happening. And so I was able to at least like communicate with them and see them, you know, and like let them hear my voice. Um, But there's nothing, there's nothing that you can exchange for a hug. From your d- child you know what I'm saying there's nothing that'll make you feel better <laughs> you know and so so when I when I came back you know I kinda resettled and was just like man how do I do this I couldn't afford to bring them with me and then I found out okay I'm going into the top 40 which means that I'm going to LA and I'm not gonna be back until I'm kicked off of the show you know or win it whatever <laughs> but You have to stop and think and go, okay, what I'm doing could absolutely transform our lives. I am doing this for them, right? This could change their lives, the potential for me to give them the things that I did not have. Right. So in those moments of feeling like, my God, what am I doing? I'm leaving my children. I can't be with them. You know, I'm like, no, what you are doing is establishing or laying some foundational blocks for the ability to be able to provide them something better, which is at that point, let's be like, I'll back up a little bit Uh, I did not want to do American Idol. Like, it was not my thing. I'm not that person, necessarily. I enjoy my privacy. Like, I... You know what I mean? Like, I was just not... It wasn't my thing. Like, a talent show competition was not... You know
1: me. I was not my person. You know. So what? How did that happen? How did you? Where? Where was the catalyst to go audition for this thing? Yeah. So
0: the first time I actually auditioned was I was prompted by um, I called her like at that time like my second mom. She was like uh, Susan Hensick. She was actually this was before college. This is in high school when American I first started. Uh, she was like Naima, you need to audition for this show. And I was like, at that point, I was just broad-eyed, bushy tail like, okay, let's do it, you know? And um, I hadn't really come into my own voice at all. Uh, I was, wasn't really sure about it. And I went in and sang, like, this super depressing, like, motherless child song. And you, you go in for <laughs> for the audition. And the first audition is, like, for producers, for, like, radio shows and stuff like that, or local people. And they were just like, no, no. <laughs> So then I went back with my brother when I was pregnant with Aviola. I went back and I did the audition and they were like, no. Uh, later, I found out on the show and I was talking to the producers that the reason that they told me no, they remembered me. Right. They said the reason that they told me no was because they knew how challenging, challenging it could be, you know, being pregnant and trying to be on the show. So they said no. They loved my talent, but they said no. And I didn't know that until the next season when I auditioned, I had had Abiola, and I was just like, you know what? I was in a place in my life where, you know, full disclosure, like I was a starving, struggling artist. You know what I'm saying? Like I was on food stamps. I was uh, struggling to provide And I just was like, this thing could change my life. And so that's what drove me to do it was literally my family. So that, that was the intention from Jump Street for me. It was never like to be a famous person. It was never to, it wasn't even honestly to win the competition. It was to create some, because I had already been performing. I had already had a you know band. I was always performing. I was just like, this could create a platform that then allows me to gain um, more followers, more people to buy my music when I choose to do the o- original music or to come to my concerts or whatever the case is. So if that was the case, then I would have more money to be able to provide for my family. And hmm. so that really was the catalyst. It was like, I was at a, a little bit of a breaking point with, okay, do I go get like a nine to five or do I keep striving for my artist thing? And I was like, well, if I can do something with this American Idol thing, uh, then maybe I can continue to strive as an artist, you know what I mean? And still make money. So mm-hmm. um, I almost didn't even go to the, like, literally they have, um, what do you call it? Like, like pass out armbands initially right where you go and you have to go the day before to get an armband to audition the next day and i was like the last one to get an armband i just moseyed into the bradley center and was just like all right I'll, can i try it you know or whatever and then because i had had audition experience the year before where like they keep you out you're like there at four o'clock in the morning and it's cold and people are screaming i'm like why are y'all screaming? We need to use our voices to sing. But they have you, they're like prompting you, you know, like, all right, the camera's on, let's go, scream as loud as you can. I'm like, no, I was totally solving it. I was like, I was just like standing there with my mouth wide open, like, cause I'm not gonna scream and I'm not, and I didn't show, I showed up at like, girl, at like nine o'clock in the morning as the last part of the line was walking into the Bradley Center. It was just it's just crazy because I had a friend call and was like, "Hey, they're passing out armbands." I I didn't even know that they were doing it that day. It was literally like some, in my opinion, like some God stuff, you know, like the universe kind of aligning and things just being like, "This is the way it's gonna go," you know.
1: <laughs> Incredible. So then you make it to the top ten. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or top top ten. Right. Eleven. Yeah. So it was like uh, there was a double elimination.
0: Um, so it basically was, yes, top 10, top 11.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And we're all watching you and we're so excited for you. Oh. <laughs> Incredible. Mm-hmm. So then what happened to your life after that? Like, how did that influence your career and what choices you made and the ability to make certain choices?
0: Right. Um. So it's not as glamorous, right, as it seems. Okay. So Um. One of the big things they said was that if you made it, they said this in Hollywood Week, I held on to it. It was like impressed in my soul, which made me strive. They said in Hollywood Week that if you make it to the tour, if you make it to the top 10, by this time next year, you'll be able to buy your own home. So when I heard that, there was no stopping me. I was like, I am going to the tour. I don't care. Like, you can even look back at the footage when I made it to the top 10. The first thing I did was like, put my hands like this and say, I got my house. Like it was, people thought I was like a part of the Illuminati or something when I, you know, <laughs> was it the triangle or whatever, but I made it to the tour and I was like, okay, we, 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 got something here. Right. Unfortunately, it wasn't the kind of money that was talked about. We signed contracts before we were even on the show that locked us in, you know, and that's what it is. It was like you, you will either sign this contract or you won't be on the show. And that's just the reality of these, these shows, you know, they need guarantees right out of the gate. And as a hungry artist or, you know what I mean? You're just like, I can't not take this opportunity. So you sign um i made it to tour we did the tour i got a record deal after that and in that record deal things were not as transparent as i would have liked them to be and it just didn't end up being a great fit they wanted to market me um only as an urban artist and i wanted something a little bit broader than that i was still honestly developing at that point as an artist right like American Idol is not a place to develop as an artist. Like,
1: it's a great platform if you know who you
0: are as an artist and where you're going and what you're doing.
1: Yeah, because you have, like, so many influences. Right. You know, in the way that you grew up, like, with your – you grew up in an African dance company. Yeah, right. Your mother is a jazz singer. Right. (laughs) You know, you have, like – all these different, and then you studied modern dance in college, right? And like, so all these different influences, and you did perform an African influenced piece on American Idol, didn't you? Did
0: yeah. So like, I put, I was doing reggae at that time as well. So like, I had started my the reggae band and uh, Ross Movement, and so like for me. It was, it's hard because there are so many things and like, how do I put this all into, but I love soul music, loved uh, pop music. You know what I mean? Like it was like hard to figure that out. And so honestly, I had some of the worst performances of my life on American Idol, in my opinion, right? But um, But I did, I was trying to pull everything in, you know? And so honestly, what that does is it makes it look like you don't know what you want to do, you know, as an artist, Or when people are looking in, they're like, what is she, what is she doing? What is this, what's happening here? You know? Um, and so it was challenging. It was challenging, but I started to, so so to fast forward, I got the record deal and then I was bought. I, I was bought out of that deal. Um, I met a woman named Cindy Owen who completely transformed my life. The, you know, opened up my mind in so many different ways that like I can't even really fully explain it but she was like look you should start coming to Nashville to write for your record because at that time I was trying to write for um, a release and um, that's where I fell in love with country music like I started writing with these country writers and the way that the songs were written the the way you could like taste and touch and feel the things in the song, right? The way that they, I mean, the lyrical integrity, right? Was just, it was everything that I wanted, but I wanted to just be able to sing like me, right? So, Um, because I'm clearly not like from the, I'm like from Chicago originally, like, you know what I mean? Concrete jungle and then moved to a nicer hood in Milwaukee. You know what I mean? Uh, not quite like out in the fields, you know what I'm saying? With a piece of straw in my mouth. Like, so, and that's, that's a, that's a terrible generalization that country is so much broader than that. I'm just saying, like, I didn't have quite the country upbringing or like it wasn't my cup of tea, right? It wasn't what I got up and sipped every morning, right? But I fell in love with it and I was like, "Oh my gosh, where has this been? What have I been doing? Like why have I not been exposed to this music?" And um so then I started to write for my record here and they felt like I had natural country sensibilities as a writer and then offered me a publishing deal. So I became more of a songwriter than anything actually I I kind of I moved to Nashville I moved my family to Nashville and was like um I want to chase this because I love it and I and I want to be immersed in it and Nashville is like the songwriting mecca you know so I just came here and dove in and just started writing and writing and writing and then um And then released uh, beautifully made, and then that was more pop influenced. Um, It was kind of like soul pop, um, and very empowering things. Because as a writer, for me, it was really important to be able to write things that my daughters could sing, right? Write things that I would love for another mother to sing to their daughters or sing to their children or for other mothers to love their children to listen to. Right. And so that became a big part of my writing. And then I just started to like, feel like, okay, I've got the empowerment messages. They're out there. They're pushed out there. I wanted, uh, just maybe a little bit more of like realistic things that were happening in my life as well. Uh, different stories, the storytelling. So that's what captivated me about country music um, What's the storytelling and I think uh, my mother was a storyteller you know as we were growing up and so that was like a part of my life you know and so it's probably why I was so connected to it and um, there were challenges there as well because like I came from like the African-American community very pro-black very you know what I mean and there is I feel like this kind of in my opinion, it's a misconception of country music as like this, you know, that it promotes racism and this, that there's, that's what some, a lot of people in the African-American community believe and feel, you know, because there are uh, different artists that wave the Confederate flag or that, you know, or some of the lyrics um, don't really speak to uh, people as a whole. There isn't sometimes a very specific group that is spoken to, but for me, um, I could always hear through that kind of stuff. Like, I've always been able to connect to any human being. It doesn't matter like where they're from, what their culture is. And I think that's thanks to my parents, Shango Dina Ifatunji and Adakola Adapo. I think that it's it is because of them rooting us down in world culture that you know it allowed me to have a broader perspective about many different cultures so even so for me I would get in the room with some of these country guys and man this one one of my you know one guy I love writing with him um he comes in in like overalls and like boots up to his knees like just finished like feeding the cows you feel me like mountain man with his hat you know And we sit down and we start to, in these songwriting sessions, it's like, it's like speed dating sometimes, right? So you have to like kind of get to know a person pretty quickly and see where they're at or whatever the case is. Um, But in some of these sessions, I would be sitting down and talking to a mountain man and we would have so much more in common than than not. You know what I mean? Like people that are in the hood in Chicago have so much more in common with these mountain men than they actually think they do. Right. And so for me, it was like, oh my God, and here's an opportunity now to even broaden my perspective more. And so it, it just became a point where like, okay, like I'm writing about like different experiences that, um, different country uh, artists or country uh, writers have had, like listening to these stories or whatever, and and being able to craft these songs. Um, it just, I just fell in love with it. And so that became my major um, drive. However, I still had to have a nine to five. Like, let's, you know, you know, we joke a lot of times that most most artists have like five jobs. You know, there there's so many different hustles or so many different things. Um, I mean, even to this day, like right now, um, I'm blessed because I'm able to, you know, I, I'm able to provide for my children. We have um, shelter, we have food, we have, you know what I mean, one another, but I'm a yoga instructor. You know what I mean? A lot of my income comes from that. Um, I, I drive Lyft and Uber part time, you know what I mean? Just to supplement certain income, just to be able to mani- manipulate my schedule so that I can songwrite so that I can be an artist, you know what I mean? So like trying to come up and perform at Summerfest, you know, uh, and tell your job, like, Hey, I'm going to need to take seven days off. You know, it's not things. So we have to find these jobs and these places where, um, there's flexibility. Um, but it's hard work. It's hard work. Yeah. Um, I think when I came off of American Idol, people were like, you made it right. Like, there's this mm. this thing that's like, oh, you know, you, you've you got money now and da, da 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 And it's it's a huge misconception. And fame does not equal success. Fame does not equal uh, financial stability, you know? Uh, it just means more people know your name. It just means that you're more confused when somebody across the street is yelling, hey, Naima, and you're trying to figure out, do I know you?
1: Like... <laughs> <laughs> no. it's, it's very confusing but um well i think that too those these like reality shows they're becoming a little bit less popular now i think well maybe that's not true i don't know because i just don't watch tv very much um <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> but like another one of our classmates cedric was um on so you think you that's can dance the, right yeah you know and i think definitely those experience probably change you and who you are and make you think about uh, your voice as an artist. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he's back in Milwaukee, just like making a big difference <laughs> with the youth of our city, yes. um, Inc- which I think probably came out of that experience too. And, you know, with you, you wouldn't be where you are now without that. Awesome. and and having like, decided what your voice is and where you want to go with your right. art but it doesn't mean that you're you know rich and famous, <laughs> right seriously you know
0: <laughs> I even I have a song um um called rich and famous that really what what it talks about is that rich and famous could be you know the fact that like you're rich in family. You're rich in, you know what I mean, laughter and love. Um, you're famous. You know the guy that is the 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 greeter at Walmart. You know what I mean. Everybody knows his name because he's there. Like he's famous in his own right. You know. I think that um, sometimes I just try to shift the perspective because. We all have this idea in our head of what rich and famous is. And it's these diamonds and this flashy stuff. Um, But the reality is, is if, if we could grasp it, you know, we all are rich in, in many different ways, you know, like I am rich in motherhood. Let's be real. Like there is nothing better. I mean, it is the most challenging thing in the world. Let's just be real. But but it is so rewarding, right? As you watch these little lives just blossom and, you know, their little personalities come out or you see bits and pieces of yourself in them, you know, and you just have to sit back and laugh. And then you think, then you imagine, you sit back and imagine who they're going to be when they grow up or whatever the case is. Um, and so, So like in Africa, a lot of times your your wealth depends on how many children you have is considered like if you have an abundance of children, then you're a wealthy person. And so it's just about perspective, I think, Um, which I think is why I then was drawn so much to um, to like the yoga realm. Right. Because it's this space of like acceptance of where you are, who you are, what your circumstances are and knowing that you're OK inside of them, You know, that you don't have to have specific uh, material things. You don't have to have specific, you know, like a, a certain house, a certain car to be happy, you know, um, and that it's really about our connection to one another as human beings. Um, that makes us rich, period. So it's been really interesting because for this past almost a year, a little less because I continued to write, I I stepped away from music altogether. Like, not altogether, I shouldn't say altogether. I still was performing at different places here and there, but like I stepped off of the songwriting every day and the, you know, um, the constant hustle. What's going to happen next? How am I going to do this with the artist career? And just dug into uh, becoming a yoga instructor because I experienced so much healing inside of it. I'm talking about like mentally, physically, emotionally, energetically healing things from, you know, childhood trauma stuff that like just spilled out of me. And then I was able to let go of right, and so this, this, this space, this yoga space, um, was something that had offered so much healing to me that I was like, I felt I would almost be wrong to not learn how to offer this space to other people. You know what I mean? Like I, if I could yep. in any way, shape or form, create a space that would offer healing, understanding any of the stuff that I experienced as I was practicing yoga. Um, if I could provide that to anybody, then my God, you know, like it is the, it is hands down to this day, um, outside of motherhood, like one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done in my life. You know Mm -hmm. that every day when you're in a classroom, you can impact someone's life, like absolutely change it. Sometimes it's just a line. And and so for me, um, I almost took like my singing voice and my songwriting and the things that I say in songs, messages that I say in songs, and I turned it into my yoga teaching voice, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) so it's like there are things that of course like that I would say in my songs that I would sing in my songs that I just say in class in a one-liner when somebody's in a very difficult posture or when they're like in a hip opening posture that will then they come out up after class and like oh my god I'm just bawling in class you know um and that was totally me I would be sitting in
1: a posture like why am I crying I don't know what's happening um uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be in Nashville this summer. I'm going to come to yes. class with you. I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, I'm going to bring a cousin with me. Yay. Maybe maybe a couple. We'll be there for a family reunion. Hey. So I'll just get a group together. For sure. So what are you working on? Are you working on any music right now? Or are you still kind of on your so, break?
0: Oh, I'm at that space now because, you know, I am an artist and a, and a and my soul is in the music realm where I feel like I have grounded down enough to, um, begin to step back out a little bit, you know, like I'm, I'm going to begin to start taking some of the meetings that people were asking, Hey, you know, because the minute that I, um, I made a very tough decision to uh, walk away from my publishing deal, uh, because there were some uh, personal things and, um, just a space where I felt like my growth was kind of limited. Um, and I, and I needed to move away from it. And so, um, I stepped away from my deal to really kind of step out onto this, this journey of like, yeah, self-worth, there's a whole lot in it, you know, but, um, ultimately, I'm at that space now where I'm like, but I miss it all now. Like I miss songwriting. I miss being in the room with the writers, with the guitar and like this organic process of like, you know, for me, writing songs are, are like, you know, having children. It's like, like, you've got this little seed that you've planted that it, it, it then begins to grow and you're like, oh my gosh. And then sometimes, you know, they're seen by the world and and they develop and all that kind of stuff and they turn into their own things. Like these songs are like, your babies, you know? Um, But, so I'm like, I miss that. And I I miss the connection with people um, from the stage, you know, I really enjoy, like it's one thing to perform in an arena with thousands and thousands of people, uh, incredible experiences, right? Like incredible experiences. But there is something to be said about like sitting with a guitar in a really intimate space with people and connecting that way. Like it's one of my favorite things in the world, you know? And so I'm about to start stepping back into that. So I'll be performing um, a lot more this year and uh, stepping back into the songwriting realm and back onto the music scene a little bit more. But I really wanted to ground down into my yoga instruction and I wanted to uh, really um, just begin to develop that part of me as well, because that's something that I think is, Uh, crucial. And actually, I feel like has played a role in um, allowing my creativity to flourish a little bit more.
1: Mm -hmm. How does it feel to you? What does it mean to you to be able to be this sort of role model for your girls now that they're becoming teenagers, preteens and teenagers? Like you, you're really following your heart in everything that you're doing. When it would be much easier to just go get a yeah. nine to five. Right.
0: Money, right? But
1: you're, you know, that's obviously intentional mm-hmm. and you know, just what does it mean to you to be showing those girls that? I think that's a part of the decision-making
0: for me. You know what I mean? Is like, there are times when I've been like, you know, do I do this? It will take away from my time with the girls or, you know, you have to weigh it. You have to be like, you know, uh, or do I not do it but I don't want to not do it because I don't want to show them like that I don't want to be that example I don't want them to feel like they have to give up on a dream or have to give up on something that they love doing because of circumstances and honestly I've been told that several times well you're a mom you can't do certain things that other people do or whatever the case is and Honestly, that's not true. It's really not. If you you have decisions, you can make certain choices. Now, you may feel guilty about a decision later if you choose a specific thing. But the reality is, is that there's always a reason for something, right? Everything happens for a reason, the way that it does. And I've always been, I've always had this thing in me, I guess. Like, here's an example. When I came out of college, um, I was offered like a $45,000 salary to like run um a, a an art program in a high school, right? Which is like for somebody coming out of college, you're like, yes, you know, that's like a, as a dancer, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, here is some stability and it's going to be great. You know, I can make money or whatever the case is. And, um, I walked into the space, Emma, I walked into the space and I, and they took me down into the basement where it was that I would be handling the children and kind of pretty much all day is where I would be. There were no windows. There was like, you know what I'm saying? It was like, when I walked into the space, I was like, Oh no. Like like
1: I, yeah, I've been in a lot of those schools in the Milwaukee public school yeah. system, right? I'm like I was, like, they're old buildings. Right?
0: And, then you, <laughs> and then you think about the hours that you have to be in, because I have to, I take these things into consideration. I am somebody who needs sunlight. I need vitamin D. I need like, you know what I'm saying? Like connection to the sun. And so I looked and I thought to myself, my God. I'm gonna have to turn this opportunity down because I thought I have to be here at six o'clock in the morning. And certain at certain times, the sun hasn't even risen, right? And then in the winter, it's dark by 4 p.m. And we're in the school until five. It's not gonna happen. And so like for me, I turned it down. I tur- I've always, money has never been like the driving factor for me. And I think um, it's always been the best decision. It's always been the best decision and because I'm allowed to then follow my heart, like follow my spirit, because honey, I know I would have been a mean teacher. I would have been nothing nice in a basement cooped up with some pre- with some teenagers. Oh no, it would have been a hot mess. Let me just tell you right now. Um, and so the choice to do, uh, to work at Summerfest, right, is income, but I was around music, all summer long, like okay, I'm cleaning toilets, and like it was some pretty disgusting stuff, right? Some some of the jobs were really harsh, um, but I get to move around in space. I'm on the lakefront in Milwaukee in the summertime. Music everywhere. That was better for my soul, for me, than than sitting in a banking job or whatever. You know what I mean? Like for me, and so I've always tried to be very um, cognizant of those kind of decisions when it comes to my spirit and my soul and so I want my girls to be able to come from that same space to make those same decisions like my my uh 12 year old Nalani she is an incredible visual artist she has always had impeccable motor skills since she was like two years old um and uh she's like she, she's she's off into the creative realm. And I'm like, part of me is like, no, but the other part of me is like, well, what are some things that maybe she can, she can express her creativity through artwork, but still maybe make a good salary, you know, like that's, this is just the mom and the, you know, you know, because we know the struggle of being an artist and we want a little bit better, or for our children to have a little bit more ease in, in life. Um, so I'm like, well, what about, you know, architecture, you get to d- draw and create and da-da-da. And she is like, yeah, I like this. And she started like doing YouTube videos and Googling stuff. And like, now she's like hardcore into it. She's done her floor plans for her home that she's going to do. De- you know what I mean? It's just like incredible. And my 10 year old Abiola is, um, She is a phenomenal little artist. She can sing her butt off. She is a great dancer. She's witty. She's hilarious. She's everything that a Disney kid is, right? Like she could totally kill it, It, you know, Disney. Part of me is like, no. (laughs) But (laughs) if it's what she chooses, then all I can do as a mother is really support. I, I can offer my suggestions, right? But... She's a little human being. She's her own little soul. And all of them are, every child that comes here is an individual soul that came here to do what they're going to do. And so as a parent, as a mother, I step back sometimes and try to just be like, you know what, what is, what do you want? What is the space? What do you need? What do you, you know, what do you feel? Because oftentimes if we can sit back as parents, step back And listen, we can actually learn some things from them, right? And so for me, it's really important that they are making decisions um, from a place that satisfies their soul and satisfies who they are, who they came here as the little divine lights that they came here as, you know? So yeah, so I try to be an example that way. You know, there have been times where like, look, the nine to five is necessary. I got to do it. I got to do it. And I'm going to grind, but I'm still doing my music. I'm still going to do this. You know, I don't, I've never been to a point where I'm like, I'm not doing anything music related. Right. Even as I said, I'm taking my high ideas, I'm still, you know, I still do performances. I still, you know, sit up with my guitar and sing and, you know, write a little bit or come up with some ideas. Um, I sing, uh for, I think it's actually just recently, you know, I sing my daughters to sleep every night, you know, like I use them as my test dummies for some of my songs, like just literally just to practice and, and see yeah. what they think about songs sometimes. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, I'm blessed Ultimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not in some huge mansion. I'm not in some, you know, I'm not, uh, hyper like a huge famous person that is like being followed around by paparazzi um and honestly I don't care to be that because I feel like really um that stuff doesn't make you happy it's really just where you are in life how you can be present you know in the moment and if you can be grateful for these itty bitty things these small things right very things like yeah waking up in the morning, like being able to, you know, see, um, your daughter's smile to be able to whatever, you know, it's like, there's so many things to be grateful for. Um, and one of my favorite, um, things is, uh, I play it at like all of the end of my yoga classes. There's, um, this track is called exit with Berg's, um, at, by Mount Wolf. And it, it, the biggest take away from it is that like we have really basic needs and as long as we have like food shelter and companionship we are able to access happiness you know what i mean and it's just that basic and so yeah it's
1: phenomenal okay i have one more question for you to finish up what advice do you have for other mother makers
0: the biggest thing which is something i had to reckon with myself uh, as a mom, is to, to actually don't look at self-care as selfishness. Right, like, cause a lot of times we start to take on guilt. We start to be like, oh my gosh, I can't do this for myself. I can't buy this thing for myself because I need to be buying it for, or man, you know, I got to do this for the children, or I can't take this time away from my children. I need to, I can't go on this vacation because I need to be present for my children, and we feel guilty for leaving or whatever the case is. But the best thing you can do. Is to take care of yourself, right? So, um, Ian La is one of my favorite people in the world, and she, you know, she presented it as um, being self full, right? Not selfish, self full. So, like, you have to fill your own cup, right? You have to come from a space of self love, like caring about yourself, knowing what your needs are, how to meet them, how to get them out, how to express what your needs are to your partner, to other people, right? And from that space, when you can fill your own cup, so they say your cup runneth over, when you can fill your own cup, everything in your cup is for you. What runneth over is for everybody else. The biggest thing I think as a mother is to find that self-love, that space of create Whatever it is, if it's five minutes, that's what got me addicted to yoga, honestly, was the five minutes of of Shavasana at the end of the class, (laughs) when there was like silence and nobody yanking at me and nobody needing anything, no emails, no texts, no calls, you know, Um, but taking five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, as much, i say at least 30, at least five minutes, maybe, you know, you can get 30 in to... Write things down that you want, write goals down, ask the universe for what it is that you want, because you will, it will come it, but you have to sit down and create the time to ask for it. You have to sit down, create the time to find the self-love to like really tap into yourself. And then you can be the best person you will ever be able to be for your children. And that's just what, and for your family, that's just what it is. And it is not Mm -hmm. selfish. It is selfful. yes (laughs)
1: yes <laughs> yeah. thank you Naima yes absolutely I love it so that's it for this episode of the Mother Maker podcast we do publish all of our interviews in text form as well so to read Naima Adedapo's interview or to send it to a friend visit mothermaker.co slash interviews slash Naima dash Adedapo that's N-A-I-M-A dash A-D-E-D-A-P-O You'll also find photographs of Naima, her family, and links to her social media accounts and her album, Beautifully Made. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter or send me an email with your feedback. You can always connect with me on Instagram and Facebook as well. This podcast is produced and edited by me, Emma Coy. Our web designer and developer is my husband, Jason Coy, and our text editor is my dear friend, Alyssa Zimmerman-Axley. Our music is by David Hillowitz and our brilliant safety pin letter M logo was designed by Matthew Fleming. Until next time, keep making work, mother makers. Thanks for listening.